It is Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. It's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 44 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is a podcast devoted to pitching with the five-time World Series champion, Simon Award winner, David Cohn, our ace researcher, James Smythe, and myself. And we are coming out of the all-star break, looking ahead to the second half of the season. Lots to tackle here. Plenty to get to on this episode. But David is back this week. David, with you, a, a, a brand spanking new hip. How you feeling, my friend? I feel fantastic. I'm, you know, it was one week removed, a little over one week, week uh, removed from the surgery. I'm walking, I'm riding a stationary bike. You know, I just feel very grateful to have, have the time to get this done during the season. So, you know, one thing about hip surgery, modern hip replacement surgery, they figured that one out. It's one of the great inventions in modern surgery is the hip replacement surgery. I'm very thankful, doing great. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear. Glad to have you back. Did you get a chance to listen to Michael King last week, though? Because he was he was pretty impressive throwing that throwing out some wisdom and also giving us some secrets about what the Yankees are doing right now in terms of ebbs and flows of starting pitching and bullpen. It was pretty cool. It was. He pulled back the veil a little bit, didn't he? He was fantastic. These guys are so good nowadays. And Michael King, it's no secret as to why he's as good as he is because he has a lot of talent, but he embraces all the new metrics, all the new technology. He understands it. He explains it as well as anybody out there. I thought he was just remarkable. You know, we should probably try to get him more regular on here. And I'll take a few vacations here and there because that was a high quality show. No, we need you two together. We need to combine the, the pitching monsters here and just create unlimited pitching power on this podcast. So yeah, he was awesome. Uh, still an all-star in my head. I think a lot of uh, us would, would agree there. James, what's going on, man? How are you enjoying the break? It looks like you are you are at a at a at a cool wilderness destination, so to speak. Uh, I'm at my dad's house, and uh, he turned this old shed into a bar. So I'm back here recording, uh, visiting for the All Star break, and then back at it for Yanks Astros. There we go. It's coming up on Thursday doubleheader that that Thursday. For the Yankees, for the Astros, not an off day thanks to the delayed start. So we get right into the second half. We're going to touch on the all-star game, the all-star festivities over at Dodger Stadium in L.A. We're going to touch on Juan Soto, obviously. Rob Manfred, his remarks to the media during the all-star festivities. We're going to have this week in pitching history, three up, three down. But of course, David is back. It is the opener. David, what do you want to start us off with? Well, I really feel like there's so many different narratives around the game of baseball, you know, whether it's, you know, we need more action, the rules changes. There's so many things you can talk about, but I think we're at a crossroads. And if you, if you looked at the game last night and watched the game, I thought it was one of the great all-star games of all time. The technology on full display, you know, in ESPN Sunday night, we did Joey Votto. We mic'd up the players on the first Sunday night baseball this year. And Joey Votto was fantastic. I kind of feel like that was, a door opener, so to speak, because he was so good. The other players picked up on that and saw that. And now we've got a flood of activity starting to happen. And I think it's great for the game. Uh, so, yes, we are definitely at a crossroads. I think we're just scratching the surface in technology and how the game is going to be presented in the future. Uh, just remarkable. And, and obviously, we've talked on this podcast about some of the rules changes that are coming next year. It's an exciting time to be a part of Major League Baseball. I think it, it is really at a crossroads, as I said, at some major innovation, some major changes are going to present this game in such a positive way for future generations. Yeah, there was a lot of new technology introduced at the All-Star game 
on Tuesday. A lot of things that caught caught me off guard as I was watching from my couch. Like, wow, all right, let's let's go for the ride here. This is cool. So let let's get into this. The All Star Game between the Home Run Derby on Monday, the game itself on on Tuesday. What was your biggest takeaway from the Midsummer Classic, both you, David, and James? I'll defer to James first here. Um, there's a lot to pick from. Um, I think the the coolest part was the the half inning when Nestor Cortez was pitching to Jose Trevino, and they were both mic'd up. They're talking to each other. You could he, you could even hear uh, Nestor uh, apologize for walking uh, Pete Alonso. So I thought that was a, a great way to uh, bring in some of the um, the technology that you mentioned, and it was just a, a great way to, to do it in an exhibition game. You know, you, this isn't really something you wouldn't really have during a live real game, you know, miking up a pitcher and catcher talking to each other, but you can do it in an all-star game. I could not agree more. That was in illuminating that half inning. I mean, Manoa was great talking to John Smoltz, throw a back leg slider. I mentioned Joey Votto on Sunday night baseball earlier this year. We've had some great ones, Harrison Bader in center field with the mic on, uh, Kike in Boston making a play. You know, we've had some great singular moments, but that pitcher and catcher interaction not only was great television, it was a look into the future. Uh, you know, if you follow, you know, on social media, professional pitchers across the board were just blown away by how good that came off as not only just a, an enhancement for, for viewing on a television production, but actually the future. You're looking at the future. Maybe all the players get mic'd up in the future, but certainly the pitcher and the catcher, that was fantastic. Hey, show me what you got. What do you got? No, let's go fastball down and away. That that interaction was real. It was pitcher and catcher. It wasn't for entertainment, even though it was very entertaining. That was real. Those guys were at it, at work, men at work. It was fantastic television, and it showed you a glimpse into the future. I, I think that, it, that opened some eyes across the board, and not just for fans. For, for guys who, who are in this industry making their living, pitchers and catchers saw that and said, light bulb, light bulb goes off. This is the future right here. Being able to converse with your catcher live, real time, back and forth, nuance, emotion in your voice. Hey, what do you think you lead? You know, in my book and in, in full count with Jack, Jack Curry, I talked about this, this pitcher and catcher dynamic where sometimes the catcher leads and sometimes the pitcher leads. And that's exactly what happened there with Nestor Cortez. He took the lead. Sometimes I'm going to drive the bus. And then he deferred other times in that half inning. And those two guys are just fantastic. Great personalities. That was the best half inning of baseball we've seen in a long, long time. No question about it. That was the highlight for me, that particular frame, but it, it started with Manoa. And we saw that interaction between he and, and John Smoltz got the three punchies, just the energy that he exuded. And then you heard guys like Garrett Cole saying, man, that like they were hearing that as well, because Garrett Cole was already mic'd up. He had the IFB piece in his ear, Max Freed, their conversations from dugout to dugout. But he was like saying that feature with Manoa and a guy like John Smoltz, like that appealed to him. And then the guy just took it to another level later on in the game with Cortez and Trevino. It was so fun to watch and i mean i don't i don't think we had received any type of advance word that something like this was going to happen i didn't see anything before tuesday night so it was it was a genuine surprise it was really cool and i give my hat off to to fox for introducing to all of this new technology the new features that we had but how cool was just trevino mic'd up when he was 
not only behind the plate, but, you know, going for his first at bat, he's like saying congratulations to everybody. You could tell how surreal of a moment Tuesday night was for him. It was awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, James, uh, he's got a future. He's going to take our jobs one day. I mean, <laughs> he's got a future in the booth. That guy's got some skills. Obviously he's not done catching yet. He's an all-star. He's a great defensive catcher having a, having the time of his life right now. But when he's done playing baseball, he's got a future in television and in broadcasting without a doubt. One other thing, James, you mentioned it too, like how this probably can't happen in, in a really important game. And obviously that's the case, but I think having moments like this, the purpose is to endear the players more to the fans, especially the younger fans. And I think it's going to give the fans that added interest to pay more attention to the players in the more important games where you're not going to be able to have them mic'd up, at least in, in the immediate future. Like I, I think that's probably the ultimate goal short term. Like how many people are now going to be locked in into what Nestor Cortez is doing in the postseason because of what they saw on Tuesday night. Right. And it's, it's a, a great window into, into these guys, you know, personally and, and on the field seeing how they, how they work, you know, Tony mentioned, you know, men at work, this is a glimpse into the inner workings of how the, the game's played. David, what'd you think of the home run derby from, from the night before anything stick out to you? Well, I think it's a fantastic event. Uh, yeah. I'm a little worried about the rapid fire uh, portion of it. I mean, that's just sort of, yeah, easily workable. I guess you could tweak the rules here and there, depending on how you like it or not. Uh, I'm open-minded about it. I think overall the event is a tremendous success. People love it. There's nothing like it. The, I mean, the slam dunk contest in the NBA is, is, is excellent as well, but it's kind of lost a little luster over the years. I think the home run any contest is a standalone event that, that speaks for itself. I'm, the only question I would have is moving forward, maybe a tweak of the rules or the format of the here or there which is easily doable on down the line. And they've already done that several times over the last few years. So yeah, it may, may be a, a little bit too much rapid fire and it's kind of hard to keep count. I kind of like the length of the home runs. Maybe if you took a little more time and, and maybe gave extra points for balls that were hit, you know, a little farther. Right. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the, you know, Oh my God, that was 479 feet. You get credit for two on that one or something like that. I might, I might be open-minded to, so, it's, you know, the rapid fire was a little difficult to keep track. I think they even lost track on ESPN and missed, missed one. The so, runs. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's something that, they, yeah, that that needs to be looked at a little bit. But no big deal. That's easily fixable in the future. And I don't know if it was just because it was held in Los Angeles, Dodger Stadium, but it just felt like the entire few days was amplified and they were just they just felt bigger than recent years and it got me thinking also you see a, a bunch of extra activities on social media obviously you know the, us here at john boy media we, you know they had our, they had their own house they had their own watch party they had their own separate parties but you see it felt like a super bowl week you all you kept hearing you know from people in the industry is how they were going to this event this night this party's going on the drafts taking place i think we're getting closer to a point where this break could possibly be extended by another day or two going forward because you're going to have too many uh, events going on in this short window, the all-star break. You're going to have to expand it for the actual all-star game experience, in my opinion. 
It's a great point. They've made a lot of progress. Major League Baseball, I give Major League Baseball a lot of credit for, for planning this event and, and the, the evolution of it over the years. Uh, did, anybody, did you see the, uh, the, the, the uh, first episode of The Captain, you know, Derek yeah. Jeter's documentary? You remember when Derek Jeter, the, the scene where he was drafted and he's just getting a phone call and there's no, yep. you don't know what's going on. <laughs> there's just no frill to it at all. Now you've got the draft right in the middle of All-Star Week. We're starting to pump this up a little more. All the talk about Major League Baseball doesn't promote itself. We always shoot ourselves in the foot so much with all the labor disputes and whatnot. I think we're on the right track, and you're right, Jack. I think that that is a remarkable week that has grown every week. It's gotten better. This was the best one they've ever had, without a doubt. I mean, when you look at all the All-Star games, maybe you got to go back to Reggie Jackson and the light tower shot that he, that he hit back in the 70s, uh, that old Oakland A's uniform. But this was – by far the best all-star game that, that we've ever seen, certainly in the modern era for, for, for this generation. There were a lot of cool plays and moments, not just the, the overarching, oh, it was cool to see Cortez Trevino or this, that. Like, I jumped out of my chair when Andres Jimenez started that double play in the first inning with Tim Anderson and Otani getting the hit off of Kershaw, Kershaw's whole inning, picking off Otani. A lot of great stuff in the game. Stanton hit one to the moon. Yeah, uh, moments after him asked, you know, saying to the, to the broadcast crew, "Let me see if I can get a hit now," because he was, you know, he was mic'd up with Judge. It was it was all around. I, I give an A plus to Major League Baseball, Fox. I think it was all terrific. But yeah, I think it's just become a bigger and bigger event because of the smaller events that are taking place within the entire experience of the All Star Game and the festivities that go into that three or four day stretch, I think you're going to have to expand it moving forward. I think, look, there, there are a lot of events going on. There's probably a lot more money to be made with some of these events. If you expand the whole experience by a day or two. So I think that's the path we're going down, but David, you mentioned the captain. Did you, uh, you obviously watched the first episode. What'd you think? I did. I thought it was really well done. I mean, we knew going into it that, that Randy Wilkins is a very talented uh, young producer, a, a Spike Lee protege. And I know Derek Jeter went to Spike Lee when he first uh, wanted to do a documentary and Spike Lee led him in Randy's direction. And, you know, a plus for Randy so far. Congratulations to Randy Wilkins and his whole team, his whole production team. Episode one was fantastic. It leaves you wanting more. Can't wait for number two. And uh, it's similar to the Jordan doc where it's not, you know, nightly, it's almost weekly. So you get a chance to kind of chew on it for a week and, and wait for the next episode. Yeah, one for one so far. So yeah. I'm looking, looking forward to the rest of the, uh, the rest of the series. Yeah. The, the footage of him on the phone while being drafted. I think that was really cool, especially if you're a diehard Yankee fan, you feel like, you know, pretty much everything about Derek Jeter and that whole time in Yankees history, that was something that not, I don't think any of us saw. I think that was something that the Jeter family had for themselves. So it was really cool to see that moment in the 1992 draft. Uh, okay. Coming out of the all-star break, this is something that's been on my mind, David, and I want to kind of pick your brain here with this. You have a bunch of teams in a bunch of different situations, obviously a player's mindset coming out of a break. If you participated in the all-star game, that's one thing. If you didn't, you took some time off here. What is a player's mindset like coming out of the break, knowing that the dog days of the season are ahead? You know, it's different for everybody. It really is. If you were hot like a Matt Carpenter before the All-Star break, you're probably 
uh, you're fretting, fretting a little bit. Like I wanted to keep the season going. I don't want, I don't need three days off. And if you're somebody that's kind of limping into the break, individually speaking, that uh, you're happy for the rest. So everybody's got their own individual agendas. The hitters, it's usually tougher for them to miss batting practice for three days than it is for a pitcher to take three days off. I mean, I bring the football to the beach, throw the football on the beach. I'm good. I'm good. Let me do a little body surfing. I'm fine for three days in Puerto Rico or wherever, wherever I chose to go. For the hitters, it's a little more nerve wracking, you know, to keep that timing going, trying to hit 103 mile an hour fastballs. Yeah, you're maybe you maybe you're a little more leery of what can can I swing the bat? Can I get a little little timing going here, or do I just take a full three days off? The Yankees are in a different boat. They've got a doubleheader coming up tomorrow in Houston, so they, they lose that extra day. But nonetheless, everybody's different in the in this category. The the people that were hot, the people that were playing well, or a little dismayed that uh, you know that this this break came then, and then the people who are struggling, the people who are hurting a little bit, are very happy with the break. So the mentality coming up is, yeah, get through August, the dog days, try to get off to a good start. It's almost like a you know a reboot, so to speak, for for your team and for yourself individually. So yeah, the first couple of games are important. You you don't want to you don't want to streak, you don't want to start start a cold streak right away coming out of the break. So that's one storyline i think we should be looking at coming out of the all-star break how certain teams perform it's it's like a basketball team coming out of the locker room at halftime that early moments in the third quarter they can dictate the rest of the game i think these first couple of weeks out of the all-star break could probably dictate the second half of the season for some teams so that's something to watch for here as we try to kind of tie up the all-star game experience and see what that player is like in terms of programming themselves out of the break. Guys, I am here to tell you that you can turn big league action into big winnings with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any game and get $100 in free bets instantly. Plus, all customers can combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. At DraftKings Sportsbook, you'll be able to bet on your favorite batter to hit a double in his next plate appearance, your favorite pitcher's next pitch to be a strike, and so much more. It's that finite where you can bet on certain items. So you have the second half of the baseball season coming up. The All-Star break is in the rearview mirror now. There are plenty of races to choose from and certain teams that you want to zero in on to make a big splash going down the stretch. And to make things even sweeter, DraftKings is stepping up to the plate with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. The more legs you add, the bigger boost your winnings receive. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B. New customers can make any $5 bet and get $100 in free bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. MLB trademarks used with permission. One other thing that happened as it pertains to this break in the 2022 season at the All-Star Game, Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke at length with the media, always covers a number of topics. One of them here that we have been interested in since we started this podcast has been the composition of baseballs. And we had Dr. Meredith Wills on in the offseason. We know the reports by now. There were, you know, two baseballs being manufactured that were used last season. There's a bunch of questions always coming up about the baseball composition. This season, pitchers are speaking out about it, not only about the grip, but just how far or how um, short they're traveling 
And we are going to get in. Let's get into some of these comments here because he rejected the premise that the balls, that, that two different uh, balls were, were produced here, that Rollins never switched up the production with different styles of baseballs. He rejected the research of Dr. Wills as well. Uh, a lot of this happening with Bradford William Davis, uh, kind of going back and forth there with him, who had that initial report with Dr. Wills back in the offseason. What did you make overall of the dialogue that the commissioner gave in terms of baseball composition? I think it was incomplete. You know, I, I, I really like uh, Dr. Meredith Wills and Brantford is a great journalist. They are on this thing. It's not going to go away. They can take the baseballs apart. There's no way to hide this. Now you cannot hide the foul balls are hit into the stands. They get these baseballs. They get the game used balls. Meredith will Dr. Wills gets these balls from different sources. She's going to take them apart. There's codes inside of them that identify them. There's ways to test these balls. There's, you cannot hide anymore. So Major League Baseball certainly has already admitted that they, they were tinkering with the ball in the first place to, to make it uh, you know more uniform. We have humididors all around now in all the parks. So this is an ongoing issue. It's not going to go away. That was an incomplete answer from Commissioner Manfred. And there's more to come. Stay tuned here because there's a lot more research being done by Dr. Wills and other sources as well. And uh, yeah, that that just wasn't good enough. <laughs> that answer just was not good enough. Dr. Wills has done very impressive work on this subject, uh, her, showing her work, which I think is, is key. And when it comes down to this issue, whose word are you going to take, Rob Manfred or Dr. Wills? I'll go with Dr. Wills and the work that she's done and she's shown. And you know, one thing that uh, that Bradford uh, mentioned, he said. You know, here are Manfred's claims. And he said, oh, yeah, well, he couldn't tell me who I should ask to prove any of his claims. Right. So I think it's it's a bad look for the commissioner. Yeah, he, he couldn't answer why Dr. Wills's research isn't true after making the claim that it was false. He couldn't answer the questions about the certain production dates of baseballs as well. I think my big question with that and you could also talk about how he I think, the you know, the quote, I reject the premise that minor leaguers don't make a living wage. He didn't agree with that. I, I'm just wondering, does, does, does he in the league, do they understand why it's difficult for much of the sports fan base to believe in what they're saying? That's my question. It's a great I'm question. Glad you brought that up. Yes, exactly. It's a great question. It was, you know, inarticulate. I mean, what, what's the right right thing to say for Manfred? Yes, tone deaf. Uh, read the room. There's so many different ways you could go here. Um, instead of being so defensive, there was a way for him to illuminate, hey, we're working on it. We have minor league housing. We're, we, you know, this is our first year mm -hmm. getting back into this. We're, we're doing things that are improving the quality right. of life. The big elephant in the room was always housing. I mean, I back to my minor league days, I was sleeping on the floor with four other guys and, you know, sleeping on my clothes. I didn't have, I didn't understand the concept of renting out a home when you're 18 years old out of high school or what, what, what the costs were per month and how to do it and how to negotiate it. And there's no time because you're playing professional baseball every day and you have to concentrate on that. And, 
you know, you have to feed yourself. You have to house yourself. Those were always the issue. Housing and food are the big issues. And he could have illuminated that. Hey, we're really working on it. We, you know, the two main issues are housing and, and food and quality of life. Those, those are two big things that we really have made progress on, but yet he chose the defensive mode. Yeah. I reject the premise that, that no, <laughs> stop right there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he probably regrets that today. Although, you know, maybe, maybe that's their strategy is to sort of fight back and, and, and be, you know, come out in a defensive mode. I, I would counsel them, you know, in my humble opinion, that's the wrong direction to go. You know, it, it's, it's, there's a better way to do it. Illuminate the positive things you're trying to do and that you're going to continue to do in the future and that you're working on it. He could have handled that in a much different way. It would have sent it off in a much different direction into the way we're talking about it this morning. Yep. Not the first time or the last that there's this knee jerk defensive mode as as you've mentioned you know just being on the attack and and being very uh, over overly sensitive with this specific topic too there's evidence that they are making progress so like you said david highlight that take advantage of that and they, you know for whatever if it's for legal purposes or not they just didn't do that and it, that's the frustrating part you know, aside as an aside to this and not a small thing but their their antitrust exemption is being challenged mm -hmm. right now by congress and they you know, rob manfred in the commissioner's office has a, a few weeks now i think coming up to to respond to congress's request for everything they know about the antitrust exemption that major league baseball enjoys they're the only sport that enjoys an antitrust exemption and the NFL doesn't have one. The NBA doesn't have one. Nobody else in any other professional sports has an antitrust exemption. Maybe that's why they're a little defensive right now because that, that they're under fire for that particular thing going on right now. And you know, that, that is something they're going to have to answer to in the, in the coming weeks and months uh, to Congress right now, as we speak. Okay. Moving along guys, the all-star breaks in the rearview mirror, the trade deadlines coming up now. And over this past weekend, there was the report that Juan Soto rejected a 15-year, $440 million contract offer from the Washington Nationals. And now the team is perhaps entertaining trade offers for arguably the most decorated player, offensive player in the game right now, just 23 years of age. And this could set up an unprecedented trade if he's actually dealt. There's a lot of people who feel like a trade won't happen because there's only two weeks to go until the trade deadline. There's a lot to peel back with this Juan Soto onion here. So my question right off the bat is, do you think he's going to get traded? My first instinct was no, because there's not enough time. Exactly what you said, Jack. Two weeks is not enough for you know a proper setup, which is essentially an auction at this point. You know, the, the Nationals have, have announced it as, as such. I can't help but think about him being sort of linked to the number one franchise of the Yankees. The Yankees are always the elephant in the room when anything big happens in baseball, a big trade, a big free agent. Okay, where are the Yankees on this one? And the Yankees have changed their trajectory, obviously, over the last several years. The Hal Steinbrenner-run Yankees are different than the George Steinbrenner-run Yankees. We see that on social media all the time. If George were still alive, they'd keep Judge and Soto. You know, obviously, you know, that's not the case anymore. But nonetheless, it's still the first question is, okay, um, what about Aaron Judge? Is this Do the Yankees try to do a preemptive strike as leverage against the possibility of Aaron Judge leaving in free agency and they get Soto? Yeah, maybe they see that if they're really worried about losing Aaron Judge, maybe they see that as a, a way to strike. 
But nonetheless, it's not only the it's not only the cost in terms of a long term contract potentially that it would take to sign Soto. It's the acquisition cost. How much? How many? How many prospects do you have to give up to get this kid? And what does that cost look like before you even get into negotiations on a on a long term deal with with Juan Soto? So it is interesting. My first instinct to, to wrap this up is to to say two weeks is not enough to get this done. Maybe in the off season where everybody's kind of uh, throw him in the free agent pool. Then it's essentially like he's a free agent with an acquisition cost that's tied to it. You know, my, my instinct would be that would be the case that it would it would get pushed off to the off season. What do you think, James? I'm with David. It's a, a lot of complicating factors, and it just seems like it's something that would be easier to do when it's more drawn out in the offseason. Uh, the, the overarching thing, too, with me is it's like he's so good, it's hard to even gauge what fair value is. It's To me, it's kind of like, you know, when Mike Trout was coming up and, and doing great in his first few seasons and the Angels weren't good, People talked about, oh, well, should they trade Trout? It's it's almost impossible to get fair value back. What do you say? Oh, uh, we'll, we'll trade you Trout or, or someone like Soto, and in return you give us your whole team. It, it's it's hard to to get fair value back to me if, uh, if you're trading Soto. But if, if you're dead set on doing it, I think you take advantage of the, the longer time period when you're in the offseason, and you might be able to get your ducks in a row a little better. A lot of people were talking about how this is similar to Kevin Durant situation with the Nets. I think this is a, a, a greater situation in terms of what the team, in this case, the Nationals, can get back. Like they're just they're just in a better position when you, I guess, cross reference it to what the Nets are in right now with Kevin Durant. Not just because of the overall landscape of what the NBA is, but look. On Soto's 23. I mean, it's just different. And I, I think it's greater. So this is, in my opinion, unprecedented. And I was, I, I was, I've been on both sides here. I've been tiptoeing back and forth right now. I feel like he is going to get traded because if you look at what's come out so far, the team came out and said that Soto rejected the 15-year contract offer. If a team is letting that leak. Soto, his agent, Scott Boris, they were apparently annoyed that they did get leaked because they wanted to negotiate something like this in private. If the team is letting that leak at this point in time, how are they not preparing to trade him over the next two weeks? And if you are the Nationals, you have to realize three Octobers is worth way more than two. So even though you have this two-week window here, the team that would trade for Soto has him for three Octobers. I think that is massive. And his value, in my opinion, is never going to be higher than it is right now. And for all of those reasons, I think he's getting dealt here. Um, what's it going to take? Good luck trying to formulate that, right? It's a valid point, you know, and, and even Buster Olney is a great reporter who's all over these things. Uh, thinks like you think, I think Shaq, and that he has mentioned, you know, he's leaning that way as well, that this might get done. And the strategy of the front office is really collectively. We've seen that with Aaron judge as well, right? It's like, okay, here's the offer. He rejected it. They throw it right out there. Brian Cashman, the Yankees threw the offer to judge right out there, put the onus right back on the player. Same thing here. That seems to be, you know, something strategically that, that all the clubs have kind of bought, bought into now. And also it creates a frenzy. If you're the nationals, you're creating frenzy right now. Nobody knows for sure. Wow. Okay. They're going to trade him. Are they really? Are they serious? And now, oh, no, yeah, right now we have two weeks. So you create a frenzy and it's rushed. And sometimes mistakes are make, made when you rush. I know 
I hung sliders when I rushed my delivery. Front offices uh, can hang sliders too when they're rushed into decision-making. So yes, oh, we got to make a decision now. Okay, let's empty out the farm system. Here's our top four prospects. Uh, Here's, you know, we got to have Juan Soto right now. We got to push it through because if we don't, we're going to lose them. You know, I, you can understand that frenzy that that the Nationals are trying to create right here. We'll see if it works or not because they don't have to trade them if they don't get what they like. And you know, kudos to them if they think they can create that frenzy and push it forward. But they still can they can still pull the ripcord and say, you know what, we don't like what we see. We're going to push this off to the offseason. And that's my mindset. If you're the acquiring team, it's it's just a matter of the number of warm bodies you're willing to give up on your farm like hey you want four top five top prospects six top prospects you know pick and choose whatever we'll meet you at checkout here david you were you were talking about the yankees specifically obviously the yankees are a team that comes up here on this podcast a lot so at this very moment where you're in the middle of a historic run, you're in the middle of a historic season. And before this weekend, so much of the talk was centered around acquiring a piece like Luis Castillo. Who would you rather have on this Yankees team right now, Soto or Luis Castillo? If you can only make a run at one, who would it be? Well, you, know, you, you have a 23-year-old generational talent in Juan Soto, so he's going to trump anything any in any conversation, but I'm going to – preclude that conversation with thing you know with my previous assumption that he probably won't get traded so in order to win right now mm-hmm. uh, a pitcher like Luis Castillo helps you right now to win that championship uh, assuming that Juan Soto is probably not going to get traded so you know that it's hard to compare the two if it's just the comparison between okay moving forward what's better for your franchise not only this year but in the future obviously Juan Soto I mean there's, there's no question there but as far as the Yankees need right now with Luis Soho going down or Louis uh, Severino going down and the pitching, maybe innings limits coming up, be a little worry about the second half and the dog days that you referred to an extra frontline arm would go a long way to fit right behind Garrett Cole. And I say this again, Garrett Cole is the preeminent durable number one starter in the game without a doubt. Kudos to Jacob deGrom. Max Scherzer's had a great career. Clayton Kershaw's a Cooperstown curveball Hall of Famer. But right here, right now, the most durable, number one, you can count on every five days, throwing 100 miles an hour. Garrett Cole's that guy. And, you know, I appreciate him more now than ever before because of that. He's right in the middle of his prime. And if you need – you can slot somebody like a Luis Castillo right behind him. That would go a long way towards solidifying the Yankees' rotation going down the stretch. That's right. Soto is – better he's more valuable i understand but as far as who would help the yankees more i think they might need a another starting pitcher more than they would need an outfielder i'm with you i think starting pitching trumps all needs at the moment castillo's the the guy that's probably in the top tier in terms of available pitchers for this season if both are available, though, if Soto really is going to be traded before August 2nd, it is going to be a really tough decision because obviously the odds of acquiring both are extremely slim. So I would hate to be in that room making those decisions if you're the Yankees or any other team that has interest in both, right? Yeah, I mean, long-term, short-term, you know, yeah. are we winning this year? What's, what's the most important thing or the overall view of the organization? For the next 10 or 15 years. So, yeah. yes, th- those, are the, those are the two comps. And uh, very difficult, very hard to read. A lot of pressure coming up now all of a sudden on this trade deadline. Two weeks to go. Now that the draft is over and the All-Star game's over, 
it's time to focus on, on this trade deadline coming up over the next couple of weeks. Guys, I need to tell you about one of my favorite places to dine out. That is Bear Burger. And when this ad read popped up into my inbox from John Boy Media, I was genuinely stoked because I love going to Bear Burger. And a big reason why is I love options when I go out to eat. And Bear Burger, their slogan literally is something for everyone. Yes, even you. So if you are a picky eater, if you don't eat meat, there is still something for you on the Bear Burger menu. I go there. I like their Hudson salad. I don't prescribe to the bun, even though they have tasty-looking pretzel buns. But I like their Hudson salad. But there are a ton of burger options. They have your organic beef, turkey burger, bison, like I mentioned. You can get a chicken burger. There's an Impossible burger, black bean burger as well. So they have really cool twists on some options for you, whether you have dietary restrictions, if you're 100% vegan, it is all there for you. Quick reminder, their Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar, the happy hour, it is the best in New York, 12 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. Like I mentioned, bison burgers are there. They have elk burgers, ostrich burgers. So there's a little bit of an exotic side if you're into daring greatly with your food. Uh, also, they have bar bites at the Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar. All food items, just $9.95. And the bar bites available Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. Lunch specials as well in the Bear Burger Kitchen and Bar. That one's from 12 to 4. Click the link in the description to find yourself at your favorite new happy hour spot, your burger joy, your luncheon, whatever you want to do it. Bear Burger is open to all options for all. It is one of my favorite places to go, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. It all happens at Bear Burger. And you mentioned Jacob DeGrom moments ago and how he, when he's on the mound, he is probably the best pitcher in baseball, but that's what separates Garrett Cole from DeGrom and Scherzer is that he is taking the ball every fifth day. He's making his starts, and that has to be factored into the equation of when people are asking who's the best pitcher in baseball. We learned the day of the All-Star game that Jacob deGrom, who's now been out of commission for over a year, he experienced shoulder soreness and he was scheduled to have a simulated game. It was pushed back. It's going to be happening on Thursday. It does sound minor, but is it really? I, I'm, no one really knows. Is this deGrom news another sign that the Mets need to make a deal for more pitching ahead of the deadline? Probably so. You know, you, you, you have to play, play it safe because you just don't know. Uh, yes, it's minor. Yes, there's still time. Yes, they can push him back and miss a start or kind of slow down his rehab a little bit. But he already is back from rehab. He's already proven that he can still throw the ball 102 miles an hour. So that the value is certainly there. The arm strength is there. A little bit of soreness is always a red flag in his shoulder area. So, yeah, they can back off and protect him a little bit, but they can still, I think, reasonably say we're going to get prime Jacob DeGrom at some point in the second half and hopefully for the postseason because they're in position uh, to obviously win the division and at a minimum get to postseason. But, yeah, it, it's something that they have to think about. Absolutely. I think everybody's thinking about that right now. We could always – any everybody could use an extra starter at this point. The Yankees had the best starting rotation numbers-wise in the first half. They need an extra starter. So if they need an extra starter, everybody probably needs an extra starter. The, the old saying, you can't have too much pitching. That's true here. And with DeGrom, any little setback, anything that pushes back the clock adds another question mark. And you're not going to have enough time to get a resolution to these questions before the deadline. So you got to act 
like you're not going to have him for longer than you expect. And if he comes back earlier than you think, fantastic. But you have to act as if you're not going to have him all the way through. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be watching this Jacob DeGrom storyline moving forward here in the next few weeks. And that leads me to my next question for you guys. What is the biggest pitching storyline to watch for as we get going at the second half of the season? He's right up there. He's that good. And the Mets are that good this year. So, yeah, you pair Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer one and two in any playoff series, and it's like, wow, that nobody wants to face that. So, yes, he is the number one story moving forward. His health, his viability, you know, his the, the, not only his arm health, but how many games can he get in before the postseason or down the stretch run here? How effective is he? How, 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 much, how much can he hold up? So, yeah, that is the number one story. And, of course, Luis Castillo, we saw him from Cincinnati. And the Reds control his contract for a year, so it's not like they can't pull him off to the offseason and, and wait for a trade that they like as well. I think that's the problem is that it is a seller's market. And if you're the Cincinnati Reds and you want to maximize value for the best starting pitcher out there, if you don't like what you hear right now, you can wait. You can just pull them off. So, that's the problem with these teams. Are the Yankees the Yankees going to give up Anthony Volpe to get Luis Castillo? No, I don't think so. Uh, how about Peraza? How's about how about Oswald Peraza? And another, you're probably your next shortstop in line behind Isaiah Kiner Falefa. If something happened there, you could probably call up Oswald Peraza right now to play shortstop for the Yankees. Are you going to give him up for Luis Castillo as part of a headliner in a in, in a multi-player package? How many top prospects do you have to give up? Uh, you know, Jason Dominguez, the Martian. Is he involved? Are you, are you willing to give him up? Is he untouchable? You know, for the Yankees, that's probably what they're going to be asked for. If you want Luis Castillo, okay, I want Volpe, I want, I want Jason Dominguez, and among others. What do you say to that? Probably no. So that, that's the problem the Yankees are going to have right now. They're going to be asked for their very best prospects. And if you're Cincinnati, uh, Luis Castillo, the way he's throwing the ball right now and the audition he just did going through New York, you're right to ask for those kind of prospects. So that's where we are right now. And it's a good old-fashioned game of chicken. And you got a great right hand starter. Uh, we want the world for him. We'll see what what falls falls down. But once again, Cincinnati can pull the ripcord, just like with Juan Soto in the Nationals, and say, you know what, we're not going to try. We're going to wait till the offseason. That's the question I have for you, David. Washington, when you're thinking about trading Soto, it's a matter of question of do you want to sell him off with three Octobers in mind or two. If you wait to the offseason, same thing with Castillo. Do you want to sell him off with two Octobers in mind for the receiving team or one? That automatically makes me think their value is never higher at this moment. So, yeah, you say that they, those teams, they have patience, but how do they really? Because just by thinking about it in those terms, the value is never going to be higher than right now. Does it just all coming back to playing that game of chicken between front offices or is there something deeper there? I'd be interested in James's opinion on this because we've talked about these sorts of things many times before Yankee games. But, you know, I, I would just say that internally, the teams and their proprietary value players nowadays is, is so much more detailed that it's interesting to see how the Cincinnati Reds uh, analytics department or their scouting department values the Yankees minor league system. How much, you know, who do they really like? And yeah, those change. You'd be surprised at the diverse opinions from organization to organization. And one of the best things that organizations can do is self-evaluate. 
their own prospects? How do you evaluate your own prospects first and foremost? And secondly, how, how do the Reds value the Yankees organization? And you'd be surprised at the disparate opinions, especially with all the information in today's uh, and you know in today's proprietary information departments that that each organization has. It's interesting because there's always the consensus top prospects lists, uh, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, MLB Pipeline. But like you said, Coney, everybody's got their own. Every team's got their own list. Which which guys are they higher on mm-hmm. than the consensus? Which guys in their own system do they are they lower on? They think, oh, maybe we could package these guys together and get more back than we expected. Um, I know this was in the more of the Reds Castillo conversation, but uh, yesterday I read something from Jared Seidler at Baseball Perspectives, which was really great. And it was a look at a possible Soto trade through the lens of what kind of players do the Nationals target in the draft? Who do they prioritize in the minor league system to try and get a window into what other teams match up well with those kinds of players to put a package together for Soto. You could take that same way of thinking and apply it to the red system. I think it's a fascinating way to approach things as we uh, sprint towards the deadline over these last couple of weeks. One thing to also keep in mind when it comes to nationals and what happening, what's happening with Juan Soto, their GM, Mike Rizzo is a scout to his core. How does that kind of factor into this equation? Because we mentioned how so many teams have all their different projections, but that, that's a uh, old school guy. I obviously he's adapting to new school methods, but in his heart, he is a scout and he is running the show there. So how does that factor in the equation? It's an interesting little wrinkle. Projection is the hardest thing to do. Projecting 2019, 20, 21 year old prospects into trying to project what they're going to be like when they're 25 and 26 and getting into their prime. The hardest thing to do. Analytics is one thing, you know, as I said before, every organization has their own proprietary information and their data and whatever each team has, it's, it's better than what baseball America has. It's better than what these <laughs> public, you know, this publicly available information is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I love all the, all these sources of information, whether it's fan grass, baseball reference, baseball prospectus. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on of really talented writers out there, but they're not privy to, to all the information that each of these individual teams have and pay for and develop. So yes. And, and that's just the analytics part. There's also the makeup part. And you know, it's a good point, Shaq, in terms of not only projecting analytically, who has the highest exit velocity, who's going to get stronger, who is the body type that's going to grow, but also the makeup, you know, what type of personality are you looking for? And Buck Showalter's kind of brought that back with the Mets. He talks about that first and foremost. Oh, we brought this guy in because he fits what we're trying to do from a personality standpoint. And, yeah, that's that's part of the equation. That's probably the hardest part is trying to to judge someone's makeup and whether they're they're, they're going to mature or how they're going to evolve as a player and as a person moving on down over the next five years. Very very difficult thing to do. I thought it was really cool because you mentioned Buck Showalter and what he's been able to do in this day and age. How cool was that on the captain when Buck and Buck was talking about the makeup of Jeter and how he thought he could excel and be more hard skinned because he came from a biracial family. Just little, little details like that is, is what you're talking about, right? Exactly. No doubt about it. There's an art to, to, to that as well. It's a bit of a lost art. That, that's kind of the old school of, 
you know, maybe one man's opinion carried too much weight in the past, you know, and it was just an opinion or a hunch, but no, it's, it's kind of coming back full circle now that we can, we can trust verify things. And in terms of analytics, now we can, we can, we can cut all the, the bullshit out, right. And what's real and what's not through analytics, but also there's still a place. There's still a place for that old school makeup. What kind of personality is this guy culture? There's, there's still a place for that in the game. And, you know, Buck Walter has kind of brought that back over, over in Queens this year. All right, guys, it's time for this week in pitching history. And James, if it isn't going to be the obvious choice, then I don't know what we're doing here on this podcast, man. What do you have for us? Well, uh, spoiler alert, this is the easiest choice in towing the slab history. July 18th, 1999, 23 years ago, Monday, David Cohn pitches a perfect game against the Montreal Expos. The afternoon started with ceremonies for Yogi Berra Day. The, the, the great Yogi Berra was welcomed back to Yankee Stadium. Don Larson throws out the ceremonial first pitch to Yogi, just like the, the, uh, the 1956 World Series perfect game. Uh, and then Coney goes out there and throws one of his own. You, couldn't, you can't make it up. Scott Brocious catching the final out on Orlando Cabrera's foul pop to third. Coney struck out 10 and fittingly threw 88 pitches, one of only 23 perfect games in Major League history, and it was this week in 1999. David, when you look back on it, what was the hardest part of that day? I think it was so hot. It was dealing with the rain delay and the heat. And actually, the rain delay helped me. I could get inside and cool down a bit. Yeah, I, I was. If you if you've looked at the video of that day, you see my face was beat red. The veins are popping out of my head and my neck. It was that hot that day. That was probably the hardest part. That's probably why I was so efficient. I wasn't the most efficient pitcher in my career. If you if you saw any of my games back in the day, I was known for throwing a lot of pitches. So me throwing eighty eight pitches at nine innings was pretty remarkable. So part of that was the heat. Part of it was knowing that a perfect game was going on. I was desperate to stay away from a three ball count that day did not have one so yeah that that's in and of itself was probably the the toughest part was avoiding the deep counts and getting it done quickly and early early in every at bat and and just throwing a lot of strikes filling up the strike zone james do you remember where you were that day i was home watching it on uh, on tv okay i I know you were there right no i was i was i was at boomers yeah i i I did not watch this game live and it killed me because I was like an 11, 12 year old little brother being forced to follow his sister's travels in her, in her dance competition. So I had to go like with my mom and my sister, cause no one else could watch me at home. I had to go to this dancing competition with them and it was just killing me. Cause I was just spending time in the hotel room and we were in, in the New York area and I just you know, heard about it, I guess, through the news, like obviously didn't have any type of cell phone, smartphone or anything like that. Like it wasn't traveling with any type of device that was connected to the internet, but it was on the news. I was probably watching sports center or something like that and found out about it that way. I never watched it live. I've watched it multiple times since, but yeah, it was just, uh, I was doing little brother duties that day. Bummer. Good, you're, you're a good kid, though. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. I had no choice. <laughs> hey, all you men out there, is crotch discomfort hurting your game? Well, fear no more. The kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, they have spent two long, hard, arduous years locked up in a lab designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. They are sleek. They are soft. They're flexible. 
and they are above all else comfortable. It's the brand new Boxers 2.0 from Manscaped. They will take your balls to the Royal Ball Throne. The global leaders in below the waist grooming also have the Lawnmower 4.0 for the trimming, so you can wear the Boxers 2.0 for the chilling. They even trademarked the jewel pouch, so you know it is serious. I always say self-investment is the best thing you can do for yourself. It is time that you invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using our code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, at manscaped.com. Here's what you get with the Lawnmower 4.0. Not only is it the best electric trimmer for below-the-waist grooming, it keeps on developing. This is a fourth-generation trimmer featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology. It also is waterproof. It has a 400K LED spotlight that you are going to need for a more precise shave. And that leads to the boxers. They are a game changer. They have micro-model fabric, which is so buttery soft and breathable. It keeps all your good stuff down there all cool. You can walk, you can run, you can strut. It doesn't matter. They have moisture-wicking boxers that allow you to breathe without breaking a sweat. Be proud of your underwear and wear the Manscaped waistband with a badge of honor. Your balls deserve it. Get 20% off and free shipping with our code SLAB, S-L-A-B at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with our code SLAB at manscaped.com. Up your crotch game because once the Boxers 2.0 touch your sack, you are never going to go back. All right, guys, three up, three down. What do you have for us this week? I got to throw some love to to a St. Louis Cardinals reliever that we saw in the All-Star game who had a remarkable first half and maybe kind of flying under the radar just a little bit if you haven't watched many Cardinals games this year. But Ryan Helsley is just lighting it up this year. I mean, he's pitched 39 innings. He's given up three earned runs, only 14 hits. Guy throws 103 miles an hour, as we saw in the All-Star game. He throws an 89-mile-an-hour slider and a 79-mile-an-hour curveball. I mean, there's diversity within that power, uh, the regimen that he features. Only 12 walks, 57 strikeouts. He's given up one home run all year. This guy is remarkable. Uh, yeah, it, it, to me, it, it, it just speaks, you know, to the flamethrowers that we see in the parade of flamethrowers we saw from the bullpen in the all-star game and it has changed the game. The bullpens have changed the game of baseball. It's why the strikeout rate is so high now, because these, these guys like Aaron judge have to face guys like Ryan Helsley instead of the starter three or four times a game uh, without a doubt, these maximum effort power arms out of the bullpen has taken this game in a new direction. And, and to me, Ryan Helsley's is as good as anybody this year. He's, he's, he's somebody to watch. If you get a chance to watch a Cardinals game, or you want to? You have a chance to see late in the game when he's coming in. Tune in. He, he's worth the watch. He's that good going right now. An eye-popping performance from last night's All-Star game. In addition to that, Emmanuel Class A uh, closing it out. Ten pitches, three strikeouts, slamming the door. Cutters coming in ninety-nine. Insane velocity. Insane movement. There are certain guys where you go, I don't know how anybody ever gets a hit off him. He's one of them. I'm going the same route with you guys. Uh, Joe Mantiply for the D-backs and his quick inning. Blink if you miss Class A, right? Blink and you miss Mantiply last night of, you know, full inning, nine pitches for him. Just a sick sinker that's not 
pretty high in, in velocity. It's, it's sitting around in the low 90s, but uh, he also has a cool story. Story I know, David, you touched on it a few weeks back. You know, he has that journeyman story, pretty inspiring for a lot of other pitchers out there who kind of may feel like their careers have stalled a little bit for reasons like injuries or maybe their style not fitting in with some current pitching trends. So it was cool to see Joe Mantiply do his thing on the mound and introduce himself to the national stage. But him, Class A, and Helsley as well. Helsley is one if you go by F4, I mean, he's one of the top three relievers in baseball this year, and a lot yes. of people probably haven't heard about him. Exactly. The St. Louis bullpen, Jordan Hicks. I mean, they get mm -hmm. in the postseason too. Watch out for the, the Cardinals as well. But the one thing, you know, Joe Mantiply, to your points, Jack, and all these guys are processing, they don't really realize now, you know, Jose Trevino, uh, Nestor Cortez, 20 years from now, you're going to get introduced at some event as an all-star pitcher. You can never take it away. And the further removed you get from it, the more you appreciate it. And that's why going through it now, it's kind of, you know, hey, it's great. I'm an all-star, but they don't really understand that this is for life. It's forever. And you will be. You will be at a charity event on down the road after you've long left this game and you will be introduced as you know, former all-star pitcher, Nestor Cortez or Joe Mantiply. You know, that's a huge thing that these guys are going to appreciate on down the road. That's what's massive. I think that's what makes it really special. And we, I think as fans, every now and then we try to find a reason as to why or how we can relate to the players that we watch, the people that we watch. And when, when you see how they perform and their reaction to a first-time all-star experience, I think it's so humbling that that aspect shines right back to us watching on TV. So it, I, I hear you, man. I think that's great. And I'm, I'm really happy for a lot of these first-timers. And no one's ever going to take it away from them. Just like you said, it's always going to be there. They're always going to have it in their back pocket. I think it's a beautiful part of what the all-star game is. Guys, second half coming up here really quick before we leave. The most interesting thing you are watching for the second half, pitching or non-pitching, what do you have? I'll defer to James. Um, I guess just how the teams at the very top of the leagues focus on the trade deadline with an eye towards October. I mean, you have the Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, Mets, Braves that are all on pace for 97-plus wins. Their fan graphs, playoff odds at the all-star break are all 98% and above. These teams are pretty much uh, booked for October. Um, the Mets have the, the Mets and Braves have their division race. The Yankees will try to hold off the Astros for the AL's best record. But it, for all intents and purposes, you're not playing a meaningful game for another couple of months. So how do you tackle the present versus the near future where you have an eye towards the playoffs. Everything we do is about maximizing our roster for postseason baseball. It really is. I mean, it, it's sort of uh, the thing I look at in a game that has kind of moved away from starting pitching and to power bullpens. I think there's still teams that are built like that. I mentioned the St. Louis Cardinals with Jordan Hicks. They could come with Helsley and Jordan Hicks both coming in and throwing – 100 plus mile an hour. You're going to see Hicks coming in and throw 104, 
follow him up with Helsley throwing 103. There's that is the ultimate power bullpen potential in a postseason. But there's also the starting pitching side that have made a comeback a bit. We mentioned the Mets with Jacob Degrom and and uh, Max Scherzer one two. The Yankees have Garrett Cole. Is it going to be Luis Severino the number two guy? Your top two starters really important. Really top three in a postseason series really important. How many number ones do you have? And what, what is your power bullpen? So that dynamic is really interesting to me is how teams move forward through the trade deadline. If we can't get that Luis Castillo or that number one starter, there's not a lot of them out there. Who's the next Clay Holmes or Wandy Peralta? Who's sitting out there in a bullpen somewhere that's ready to take that next step? They're out there. You know, you, they've been there every year. This is where the analytics departments across baseball have done their best work. Let's go get that guy. Uh, who's the next Clay Holmes? coming through the trade deadline. That's what I'm looking at. And the potential dynamic between a team that's built around a power bullpen and a team that's old school that has well, two or three number one starters that can shut you down and get deeper into the games. It's kind of a battle between styles that, that I think I find very interesting as we get into postseason. And which one wins in postseason? Is it the starting pitcher who dominates in postseason or is it that power bullpen at the end of games that, that dominates? Maybe a combination of both, but it's an interesting dynamic. That's very similar to what Michael King was talking about last week on that episode. And it's, uh, it, it is the same thing I'm looking forward to starting pitcher usage for the most part is up this season, but we're entering a period where you could see some staff, some individuals, they may tire just a little bit, how that dynamic kind of runs parallel with one another, how, how the pitching usage uh, is handled in terms of guys maybe getting fatigued, going to a place that they haven't experienced, but the need to have those starters continue to go in that direction so you take the onus off the bullpen, how that bleeds into October is going to be fascinating to watch in, in my view. So I'm really looking forward to that because it's something that we haven't had to concentrate on over the last couple of seasons. It's pretty new here in 2022. Guys, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you to our amazing producer, Dan Rourke. New episodes of the show drop each and every week, Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Please rate, review, subscribe. The best way that you can support the show is by rate, reviewing, and subscribing. Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.